Well, good morning. My name is Derek Carpenter. I'm one of the pastors here. And, uh, you know, as we were just singing those songs, I wanted to emphasize our, our biggest desire when we gather this morning, every Sunday morning, is that you meet with God. You know, those songs hit it perfectly. We don't want you to come hear a great sermon. We don't want you to come hear some great music. We want to meet with God. Um, and so we, as, as pastors and elders here, we feel our responsibility is to try and facilitate an encounter between you and God where the Holy Spirit can connect with you, where you can respond to Him in worship. Uh, and so we're trying to create an environment uh, and it's getting more crowded, so that's harder, but don't run away. Um, an environment where we can worship, where we can hear from God and respond. So up here in front, we have this little area with candles and, and, a, and a carpet. During worship time, if you ever feel led just to come up and get on your knees and pray, that's our, our altar area. Um, do that. Feel free to do that. If while we're worshiping, you feel like sitting down and just listening, do that. If you want to get on your knees where you're at, if you want to do this, whatever you want to do. Good morning, Lydia. That's my daughter. Um, whatever you want to do to respond to Jesus, you are free to do that. Um, and then as we transition now, this is our time to hear from God. Again, that's for his glory. He wants to speak to us. He's given us the Bible. And so we're going to go to his word to see what he has to say, which is for his glory and for our good as we hear what he has to say and then we respond with obedience. Uh, and the way we typically do it is then after the message, we're going to sing some more and have a, a time of response to where we can respond to what God has said to us, whether that's in confession, whether that's in, in prayer, uh, worship, singing out, and then taking the Lord's Supper. That's what we're about here. So just if, if you're curious, our, our main goal is that you connect with God and that He can work on you to make you who He wants you to be. And then beyond that, then we get to go and take that glorious, wonderful life to others, that wonderful relationship with Jesus to others, rather than just keep it to ourselves. We get to share it uh, and, and go. So let me pray before we get into today. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words of those songs that we just sang. When, when you move, you move our fears. Uh, when we really place you as Lord and we trust you, we don't need to be afraid because we can know that you, you know what's best, you want what's best, you have all the power to do what's best. Um, and we can trust you. Even if it doesn't look best from our point of view, we can trust you. God, we, uh, we do ask you to speak to us. God, we ask in this last week in this future family series that we would have families here at this church, families that are healthy, families that are thriving, kids that are obedient, kids that are learning what it is to walk in faith, learning what it is to sacrifice for your kingdom. God, we, we want to enjoy the life that you have, have given us to enjoy, but it's not a selfish enjoyment. Um, it all goes back to you and your glory. So speak to us this morning. Let your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I said, this is our third week in the Future Family Series, and what we've asked you to do each week is to, at the beginning, kind of picture in the future. What do you want your future family to look like? And, and then we go to the Word and see how can we get there? What does God say about getting us to the family He wants for us? I had a, this morning, if you haven't realized already, the, the topic is going to be conflict, conflict, fighting, arguing, and, and, and that's not only relevant inside the family, but it's very relevant inside the church, and if you have any relationships with anybody anywhere, it's kind of relevant there too. So, so this is one that's going to hit us all, but I had a period in my life when I was about 22 uh, where things were just really at peace. You know, I just didn't have much conflict 
at all. Uh, I, I went to bed. I slept well. I ate. It was just maybe you've had that time in life where things were just at peace. Things were just good. Uh, and one day, my sister, I had an older, still have an older sister, that she lived about a block away. Uh, and she came into my house one day and walked in, and her jaw just dropped. And she walked into my kitchen, and she saw this pile of dishes in the sink. Um, and I, was, I had gotten to the point where I was just eating food out of the can because I didn't want to do the dishes. Um, you know, and then she walked in, and there was, like, clothes everywhere because when you live alone, you can put your clothes anywhere you want. And she walked through and just she said, you can't live this way. How, how can a person live like this? And, and I didn't have to listen to her because she didn't live there. Um, <laughs> Being the great sister she was, she went and did all my dishes for me. Um, and then I tried to stay on top of it. But I was at peace because I lived alone. Then, two years after living alone, I got married and I no longer lived alone. And so now there was somebody else with an opinion, uh, somebody else with, with thoughts and, and desires, and conflict happens. If you have relationships conflict happens. And if you move into the same living space, guess what? You're going to have different ideas on how to live in that space, what to eat, when to sleep, all that stuff. Uh, when we first got married, so I had built this pattern in life. In the evenings, I would read. Uh, I loved to read. I didn't even have a TV at that time. I just would read. And so we got married. And within the first couple months or weeks, I don't remember exactly when, we sat down at night and I grabbed a book and started to read. And I'm reading and I hear this, <laughs> and, and I hadn't picked up on all the subtleties yet of marriage. And so I kept reading, and, and there was a, <sighs> you know, what's up? She's like, well, I was kind of hoping we'd hang out. You're here. I'm here. We're hanging out. Do you want a book? <laughs> you know, like this is a, we got lots of books. You know, I can recommend some really good ones. Well, her opinion was hanging out was doing the same thing. So we could read out loud together or we could watch a show together, or we could talk or something. But, <laughs> but she, wanted, she wanted to relate. So here's the thing that I had been doing for two years, no problem. Now, I couldn't do it anymore. And I still bring it up. I, now, I, I can't get back to that habit, because can I read now, or do you want to be together? Um, but, but that's just a, <laughs> that's a, a picture you know, of just a different way of living, just a little bit of conflict. And so we want to talk about conflict, because conflict I think is inevitable. By conflict, I mean difference of opinions, different ways of doing, but fighting doesn't have to be inevitable. Conflict can be healthy and a good thing, and it doesn't need to lead to fights and quarrels, the silent treatment, threats, uh, personal wounding, things like that. We, we can have healthy conflict, and I think the Bible shows us how to do that. So we're gonna be in James. Turn to James 4, if you would. Because we're going to look at how to have conflict, and we're going to look at the, the sources of fighting and quarreling, because conflict is inevitable. It can be as simple as, which way does the toilet paper go? You know, is it supposed to roll over or back? Obviously over, right? We agree on that one. Obviously over. But it can be any little thing, and then things can, can build up. But here's, here's a, your first note, if you're a note taker. By the way, you can download our app, Common Ground Carson, and you can take notes on the app if that's convenient for you. But here's the first one. If you are in a family, you will have conflict. Learn how to handle it God's way, 
in order to give your future family its best chance at being healthy. And again, take a minute and just look future. If you've dealt with fighting and quarreling, and if we're married, all of us have to some extent. If we have kids, we've dealt with it there. It's inevitable. So if you're sitting thinking you're the only one, you're not. The rest of us are just good pretenders. Um, it's going to be inevitable. But looking down the future, if we can learn how to handle it, we're giving our future family the best chance of being healthy, wanting to be together, and I would say being used even greater by God. When we have conflict in the home, you know, and I've had this talk with couples, families, when there's just a lot of conflict in the home, it's kind of like we are sidelining ourselves in this kingdom work. You know, the greatest purpose God has given us is to serve him in his kingdom. But if our marriages and families are unhealthy, we're kind of sidelined until we can get that, that ironed out uh, because we just won't be able to be used for God if we continue in that state. So we need to learn how to have conflict. By the way, I kind of put this note in here this morning. Your kids, if you need any other motivation for this, if you're a parent, your kids are going to learn from you how to have conflict. So as you guys have conflict in the house, what are they learning? Because they're going to take that to their marriage if they get married. And are you going to want, you know, man, are you going to want your daughter's husband to act like you do? You know, ladies, are you going to want your son's wife to act the way you do? You know, that's helpful to look at, at how we can lead our kids into have healthy conflict, uh, but also recognize that we came from a family and we kind of brought some things with us, some baggage from our parents that the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, uh, can deal with. And the last note before we get into the passage is, as we look at this, we have to remember God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. So if we've messed up in the past, guess what? God's grace is sufficient. If we've had divorce, God's grace is sufficient. If we're messing it up right now, Jesus died on the cross to forgive us for our sins and to give us new life. And it's never too late. So we don't want to wallow in guilt. That's why I'm saying this now. I don't want you to sit here and go, oh, I'm guilty. I want you to sit here and go, God's grace is sufficient and the Holy Spirit is given to us to get better, to move through this for his glory and for our good. So we're going to start in James chapter 3. We're really going to be studying the first three verses in chapter 4, but it sets up in chapter 3, verse 13. Now, if you're familiar with the book of James, you'll know James is the half-brother of Jesus. This is one of my favorite books of the Bible because I am a practical nuts and bolts person. And James here is writing to a church. And he's writing to a church that isn't doing it very well. He's writing to a church that's having fights and quarrels. He's writing to a church that is, is just dysfunctional. There's sin that's just being let happen. And he's writing to them saying, listen, if you're claiming to believe in Jesus, your life should line up. Uh, some would rather this book isn't in the Bible. Because this book, he, he says earlier, he says, faith without works is dead. You say you have faith, but you don't have works? You're full of it, basically. You're full of it because our, our actions, our, our orthoproxy, that's how we live, should come out of good orthodoxy, how we believe. Right belief leads to right actions. And so that's what he's saying. Get your, your mind right, get your belief right, and then let your actions follow. And so in verse 13, chapter 3, verse 13, he's talking about wisdom and how we can be confused. And this church was confused. What's wisdom? There's worldly or there's godly wisdom. And he says this, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, 
This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Those verses, if you're anything like me, it's kind of like breathing cool, fresh air. We have a slide I want to just kind of compare. I want to apply this to families because then we're going to move on and look specifically at conflict. Uh, oh, good job fixing that slide. I made it earlier and it was all messed up. Um, but in these verses, this is what we see in these verses. Do you, which one do you want? The left, unhealthy family where you have jealousy in the house, bitterness, selfish ambition, really, you know, in the house, everybody wants what they want. I want what I want. I want to promote whatever it is, but it's about me. Disorder, fights, quarrels, those come from the verses coming up, tension, you know, and maybe this is where you are right now, or maybe where you've been, where you walk in the house and everybody's on eggshells. You've probably heard that term. You're walking out, you're just waiting for the next outburst waiting for the next thing that's going to make the dam break, that, that there's going to be a fight, and then threats of divorce again, all that. You're just waiting for that to happen. Or on the other side, a healthy family, and this is what we see in these verses, if we're operating with godly wisdom, we can have purity, peace. i got to tell you about that word. That word is awesome. Peace, that, that comes from the Hebrew Old Testament, shalom, if you've ever heard that, shalom, and it's the idea of wholeness. That's the idea of peace, not just a lack of fighting, but, but things are in order, in godly order and peace, meaning it's an absence of tension, an absence of quarrels, and being used in God's order for what he would have you do. So it's, it's this wholeness that the family is operating the way God wants it to. The man is doing his role, loving his wife really well. The wife is doing her role, serving her husband really well. The kids are, are perfectly obedient. So this is the ideal here. But, um, <laughs> and being used. And for me, this is a big deal. I want my family to be used for God's glory. I don't want us to just exist. I want us to go through this life leaving a wake of God glorifying himself in others' lives. That's, that's included in this idea of shalom. So godly wisdom leads to that gentleness in the home, you know, gentleness, strength under control, reasonableness, that's one, you know, able to, to be convinced that the other one might be right, um, mercy, fruitfulness, impartiality, and, and sincerity. Which one do you want your family to be like? We're not going to have a show of hands. I'm going to assume you'd rather be like the healthy family described in these verses. By the way, when he wrote this, his, his primary intention for these verses was within the church, but it also includes within the family. He talks about the family, but within the church and within the church family. Now, moving on to specifically fights and quarrels. Look at chapter four, verse one. James writes, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. He's, he's, describing, he's describing the fights. Why do we have fights? Why at home do we every now and then 
have these outbursts, have these fights, maybe an ongoing tension. It's always there. It's never fully buried. Maybe it's like, a, I think it was Garth Brooks, you bury the hatchet and leave the handle sticking out. Um, was it Garth? Anyway, great song. I'll sing it later. Um, but, but why do we have these? And he says it right here. And by the way, the problem is bigger than we think. We think we have these fights and quarrels because she's too opinionated. We think we have these fights and quarrels because he's too dirty and inconsiderate. That might be part of it. But the problem is within us. What's he say? What causes fights and quarrels? Is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. Your passions, your desires within you, you want things. Some of them good, some of them bad, some of them sinful, but you want stuff. If you didn't have any opinion, if you didn't want anything, why would you ever fight? We fight because we want something. People fight because they sinfully want something. That's in your notes. Now, I want to highlight that. Sinfully want something. Not everything we want that leads to fighting is sinful, right? Ladies, you, you want your husband to love you well. That's a good desire. But you might go about achieving it in a manipulative, sinful way. Man, we want our wives to respect us. That's a good desire. But we may go about it in a sinful way. Lots of, lots of things that are good, we can sinfully want to, to fulfill in our own strength. But we see here that the problem is within us. The Bible calls this flesh. Or if you have an NIV, a new, uh, new International Version, it translates that sinful nature, meaning there's a piece of us that when Adam and Eve sinned, broke, and it was passed on to us. And each of us has, have chosen to sin. And Jesus is in the process, if we are saved, of reconciling us, making us more like him, getting rid of that part of us. But it won't be perfectly complete until he comes back or we go to be with him. So right now, we have this sinfulness still in our flesh, meaning our minds, our emotions, our desires, there's, there's things in us that are still a little bit bent and God is still straightening them, but that's the cause of these desires. That's the cause of these quarrels. It's within us. We, we want things. We want to be liked. We want to be wanted, valued. We want to be used. We want, I put this one in for me. We want good sleep. <laughs> if you want to see, you want to see me grumpy, just wake me up. Um, <laughs> we want good sleep. We, we want a comfortable home. We want a large retirement account. Uh, you know, the Bible really sums up some of our sinful desires, fame, fortune, power, pleasure. We want these things. And then we go about it, getting it in the wrong way. One of the things I, I wanted to, to draw out is with parents. You know, fighting and quarreling, it's not just husbands and wives. With kids, every now and then we fight with the kids too, don't we? Are our desires for our kids always holy and just? Now, we, we have to recognize we want something. If you're like me and, and you've been in a store or, or a public place and one of your kids start acting out, what is one of your main reasons you want them to comply? Because everybody around is watching and you're worried about your image as a parent, right? And so there's something about there where we have to check our motives for why we want what we want or how we're going to go about getting what we want, even if it's a good thing. But we see this all the time. We see conflict. I've seen this a lot in families. A lot of times it's the father pushing a son in sports or a daughter, but they're trying to live vicariously through their kids. And so there's this conflict trying to make them be something when really it's not about them. It's about 
The parent, the parent feels deficient for whatever reason. And so they're trying to live through their kids. Uh, I think it's helpful to, to recognize that. I was listening to a pastor talk about conflict, and he said that he, uh, he used to do marital counseling and he stopped because he wasn't very good at it. Um, but one of the things he would do is he would draw a circle and say, this is a pie. Now, I want you to draw your slice of the issue. So the issue is the pie. Draw your slice. You know, own your piece. How much is your fault? And he said, nobody ever drew a slice. Because as, if you draw a slice, you're owning a piece of it. You're going, okay, it's mostly you, but this little slice is mine. And obviously, you know, if somebody's giving you that, then your, their response is going to go, well, here's what you deal with. You deal with your slice. But we don't want to own our part of it. We want to, we want to push it all on them. Here's, here's in your notes. In every conflict, recognize what you want, then evaluate your motives. Recognize what you want, then evaluate your motives. Because that's what James is saying. What's the cause of fights and quarrels? It's things that you want. That battle within you. And we know this battle. Sinful desires or, or good desires to accomplish sinfully. We have these battles within us that won't fully go away until we die. But in every conflict, recognize what you want. Then evaluate your motives. Um, just an insight into the life of a pastor. I was writing this a couple weeks ago or editing it a couple weeks ago. And God gave us a chance to apply these. Um, so so I, I don't remember. I do remember. But, <laughs> um, you know, we're bedtime or whatever, and, and bedtime kids got to bed, and, and uh, Callie decided to, to point out some flaws in my parenting method. Um, and and I, uh, because I'm so perfect, I just took it and, and made a note in my pad that I keep with. No, what I did was I then responded. Rather than going, you might have a point, I, I responded with her parental deficiencies, which are way fewer than mine. But it was a, a different of opinion on how to handle something. And she says something, and I say something. And maybe we're the only ones in here that deal with this. But um, it can become like a tennis match. You know, you say something, and the other one hits it back. Yeah, well. Yeah, well. You, you know? And, and so it, it starts to, to escalate. And it starts as something super minor. But this can go back and forth and, back and start to escalate and become something that it, it didn't start as. And so, we, you know, it wasn't a big thing, but then I, I go to bed. And normally she comes to bed soon after, and I'm laying there, and she's not coming to bed. So I'm like, great. <laughs> um, and so I was laying there thinking about how right I was when, I'm just being honest, when God decided to help me apply this passage, which I had been studying that day. And he's like, how do you handle conflict? What's my piece of the pie? <laughs> what is it that I want? So honestly, I laid there going, what is it that I want? Well, we want the same thing. We want kids that are compliant. We want our kids to do well. We want our kids to be healthy. We, that's what we want. But then also, then I want to be right. I, I, I don't want my sinfulness to be recognized. So there was that piece of me that goes, I don't want to be recognized as wrong, and maybe I was wrong. So I got up and went back out, and she was watching TV, and I just said, you might be right. <laughs> you know, and, and, and reconciled. But it, it took a time out and going, what's my piece? And then going and owning my piece, and, and that's all it took. You know, and if we, if we can do that, recognize our piece and try and own it, you know, that's all it took because our goals are the same thing. 
we want, for the most part, the same thing. So in every conflict, recognize what you want, then evaluate your motives. And I would say every conflict, almost, you're going to prevent it from becoming a fight if you do this one thing. When desires go unchecked, conflict escalates. That's that tennis match. When your desires go unchecked, you know, things start to boil, get hot. That's when things can escalate. And here's, he talks about that here in verse, what verse? Two, <laughs> you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Murder. Uh, all commentators really agree that he's, that's hyperbole right there. He's talking about, you're not talking about actual murder, but he's talking about murder as a hyperbole. Jesus said, if you hate your neighbor, you're guilty of murder. So it's that idea of destroying to get what you want. You commit murder. It's a violent act. You want something. And so you're going to violently attack to try and get what you want. That's what this is, escalating conflict. It says you desire. That word is also translated lust. It's not only sexual, but it's a strong, selfish desire for something. And so you will destroy, you will hurt in order to get it. Conflict becomes damaging when apart from Jesus, we strive to fulfill our desires on our own. You never win a fight in a family, do you? But that's the picture that he's, he's giving here is you want something, you're not getting it, so you're gonna fight to get it or you're gonna fight to win. If in a family your goal is to win, you've already lost because it's going to escalate. You've already lost rather than cherishing the relationship, cherishing the other person. What he's talking about here, and, and maybe you've seen this, maybe you've been part of this, is dis attacking to get what you want. This happens in marriage. Well, then I'm just going to divorce you. That's an attack. That's one of those things, by the way, if you're married, that should go on the list of things you never say. You never threaten divorce. Or you attack, remember when you you're, you're digging things up from the past and you're throwing it in their face. You're damaging or you always, and then you attack their character. Here's something wrong with you and you bring that out. That's what he's talking about here. You attack, you attack. And in a family, there's no, no reason for a family. There's no attacking. Uh, we, we need to view ourselves as on the same team. You have the same goal. You know, if, if a team, any team, basketball, curling, whatever. Uh, any team, <laughs> there's teams. If, if they're at each other, they're not going to be successful at completing the mission God has given them. It's the same with our families. We're on a team, but more than just a team, we love each other. And it's amazing to see how much even families who love one another still can attack and hurt. Why do we do that? Because we want something we're not getting. Why do you attack? Guess what? As soon as you're doing that, you're guilty. I mean, you're, it's your fault because you want something selfishly and you're hurting to get it. Conflict becomes damaging when apart from Jesus, we strive to fulfill our desires on our own. We're on the same team. The, the picture that I have of this um, is driving, driving somewhere. You know, if we, we want to go the same direction. So say we get in the car and we're going from South Carson to, to Reno. And we can debate, okay, we all want to go to Reno. We should go on the freeway, it's faster. No, we should go through town because there's construction. So you, you want to go to the same place, but you can debate on how to get there. Uh, I think it's very similar in church or in any organization. You have a common goal, but you can argue all you want to get there. A healthy conflict 
to get there. You can point out your reasons. We, we sometimes think that healthy conflict means absence of conflict. And so you don't share your opinion or do anything to avoid it rather than cherishing the relationship and then talking about the best way to get there. Say you get in a car and everybody wants to go to Disney, you know, we're going to Disneyland. We can debate the best way to get there. But when we start having, you know, attacks on who you are because you think we should take the five rather than the 395, you know, but that's what it's like. So, but if you get in the car and everybody wants to go to Disneyland, but one person would rather go to Six Flags, then you have a real issue that you got to pull over and deal with that. And in families, that might be counseling. That might be getting somebody to go, we have different desires, different end goals, and we need to get those figured out. Then we can debate on how to get to that, that place, wherever it is we're trying to go, in a loving way. Uh, I wrote in here as I was thinking, relationships are like, are like an egg. We want to we hold the relationships. They're fragile. And so we can debate about all this other stuff, and our, but the other person is precious. And we, we need to hold them like an egg that we don't want to break, we don't want to crush, and so we're gentle with the way we, we talk to each other. That's that list that we saw before coming from 13, verses 13 to 18 in chapter 3. Godly wisdom is gentle. James 3, 14, he says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. We have these wrong desires. We're, we're, we're trying to get what we want. So this morning as I was thinking about this, I thought it would be helpful you know, just to write down what are our goals? I mean, you know, me and Callie, our family, I said our first one, you know, our common goal is, is the family. Now, you might say God should be your first, and he is, but our first priority is, is actually our family. Not church, not ministry, but our family is our first place. And so we will guard our family. We want our kids to be disciplined well. We want them to grow up in the love of the Lord, knowing him and serving him. We want us to have a healthy family. So when I first got into ministry a decade ago or so, I was warned it can destroy your family. Many pastors, are, their families are destroyed because they, they put ministry first. And so we put these very strict boundaries that we followed. And a lot of people judged us for those boundaries. You know, they said, no, you're a pastor. You should be doing all these other things. We said, no, we're going to guard our evenings together as a family. We're going to have dinner together. So those are our priorities. Put the family. Then second, our priority is to be involved in God's kingdom work, whatever it is he wants to do. And those are kind of our big overarching. So we want our family to be used for his kingdom. So what does that look like? Well, that could change. You know, it could change. Right now, he wanted us to plant a church. It looked different, you know, 15 years ago when, it, when he said, go start a business. Well, those are two very different things. And those changed in the course of our marriage. But our goal was still God's kingdom work. What, what will he be done? And we can debate throughout how to get there. What does he want us to do? which means at some point one of us might need to totally concede to the other and go their way. But what is your, your common goal as a family, as a couple? Maybe write a mission statement as a couple. Who, who are we? What does God have for us? And then we move, we move toward that goal together, treating each other with gentleness and love. Paul talks about, within the church, he talks about fights and quarrels. And he says, you guys are taking each other to court at a secular court. You are basically taking the name of Jesus in society and lowering him. You guys can't even handle your own conflicts. Paul says, rather be wronged, rather be wronged than to fight amongst yourself. And I would say that is very applicable within the family. Rather be wronged, rather be right and recognized as wrong, whatever, than attack, than fight, than quarrel. If you got attacked, take it, take it. Rather be wronged than fight and quarrel. 
in the family rather be wronged than hurt someone to fulfill your desire. Now, the answer is also greater than we realize. He goes on in these verses. He says, you do not have, this is chapter two, or chapter four, verse two, right at the end. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Quarrels and fights reveal a deficiency in your relationship with God shown in your prayer life. Did you have any idea that's where we were going to go with this? Fights and quarrels at home, at church, wherever, they show a deficiency in your relationship with God revealed in your prayer life. Are you taking these things to God? We've seen this in our family with our kids when they were younger, not now, when they were younger. And, and there's just this fighting and quarreling going on, this wrong attitude. We said, you need to go to God with this. They went, I don't want to. You know, kids, that just shows, but we do the same thing. I want what I want rather than going to God, bringing it to him. And that's what he says. He says, you don't have because you don't ask. Maybe you do ask, and I've had this. People say, I've been praying for this for years. I'm like, yeah, but that prayer is very selfish. It's all about you and your desires. Same thing. Rather than getting yourself right with God, letting him change your desires, and then praying for him to, to do those. Um, and that leads to how to do this healthy conflict. How do we have healthy conflict? The solution to the problem is a right relationship with God. That's what we see in these verses. Ask, ask, align yourself with him. I've seen, you know, again, remember, James is writing to a church here, so that's applicable within the church, but also within families. I have seen so much within churches, many, many churches, these fights and quarrels, because somebody wants something. What do they often want? They want a position. They want a role. They want to be recognized at something. They think they deserve to use their gifting in a certain way. And it becomes all about them. And then you get these factions and these splitting. Same within the family. Rather than going to God and going, God, what do you want from me? And then being willing to submit to whatever that is or figure that out and go that way. Rather be wronged. Jesus is our example. Peter wrote about Jesus' example in 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23. He says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. The solution is to get right with God and be like Jesus. And it's not go out and work hard to be like Jesus. It's abide. We talk about this all the time. Abide in Jesus. Cling tightly to Jesus. Let him live through you and change your responses. And then you can respond like Jesus did. It, you know, you probably haven't suffered the way Jesus suffered. And how did he respond? Perfectly. He did not revile in return. He never engaged in that tennis match. Will you? Will you? Bah, bah, bah. He never did that. Really, we see it's not about me. So we get right with God. We trust him. Then we ask him. Do you realize that God is the, the perfect father that wants only good things for you? All the good things you want for yourself, he wants even more. 
and he knows those good things you want for yourself that actually aren't good for you, and he's not going to give you those because he loves you so much. If your kid comes to you and goes, you know what? I want a bowl of chocolate chips and gummy bears for breakfast. You're probably going to say no because that's not best for them. Well, our God knows even better what's best for us. Matthew 7, 11. He writes this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? So we bring our request to God, then we trust him to deal with it his way. Why do we fight and quarrel? Because we want things and then we go out to get it. And this person's not giving me what I want, so I'm going to attack them to get it rather than praying, giving it to God and trusting him to handle it his way. He might say no. He might say later. He might say that's not best for you. Now, as we transition some into, into a little bit more application and helpful tips, what is Jesus' response to us when we sin? Grace. So, when we go home and your spouse doesn't do this right, what's your response? Grace. When we go home and your kids aren't doing it perfectly, grace. Kids, kids in here, your parents aren't perfect. <laughs> your parents need your grace. I say that to say we don't want to walk out of here going, all right, now we're going to work hard to be perfect. But we need to have grace for one another. Receive God's grace, then be a conduit to others of God's grace. Be a conduit. Now, it doesn't mean through all this, it doesn't mean you don't address the wrong or the sin in the other person. But you do it with kid gloves on. You do it gently. You do it patiently. Here's some tips. Number one, assume the best and seek clarification. Would you agree that most fights start with miscommunication? A misunderstanding. Within the family, within the church, whatever it is, assume the best and seek clarification. When you did this, or when you said this, I heard this. Is that what you meant? That's not what I meant. Or, you know, somebody's coming home late. You assume their car is broken down, or they're sharing the gospel with somebody on the way. You know, it sounds crazy, but, but I'm serious. Assume the best, then seek clarification. Maybe your spouse comes home from work and they're just grouchy, grumpy, assume that at work something went horribly wrong and they just need your grace and love. They snap at you, you give them grace and love, assume the best, then seek clarification. Hey, how was your day? What can I do for you? They're, that's gonna change everything. Assume the best, seek clarification. And then, number two, graciously address the issue, not in the heat of the moment. Here's how you avoid that tennis match. Because you're not always going to see everything eye to eye. But when things start to get heated, know when to go, time out, let's handle this later. Or your spouse, your kid, somebody may be hot at that moment. They may be fired up about something. You know what? That's the time maybe not to respond. Handle it in a day, two days, and bring it up. You know what? When you did this, I felt this. When you said this, this is how I responded. And you can handle those things later and guess what, ladies, we're going we're gonna to have a lot less pride, a lot less, you know, back stiffening if you wait a couple days and, and you get us in a, in a good time, you know, you, you bring us a nice warm glass of milk or whatever and, and butter us up and then you're like, by the way. Um, but there's a way to handle those things. Do them later so we can work on that because we do have to work on our differences. It's not like we ignore them, but we deal with them rightly. 
And now here I have two questions for you to ask during conflict. Have you taken the issue to God? Have you taken the issue to God? And then two, you're not going to like this one. Are you willing to take no for an answer? Have you taken the issue to God and are you willing to take no for an answer? Rather than fighting for what you want, you give it to him and you trust him. So here's what we're going to do. We started off this series two weeks ago, and we, we wrote down, describe your future family. And you put it in an envelope, and you put it in these baskets up here. We've got a whole stack of them. We're going to do the same thing again. But this time, uh, while we, you know, before we take communion, we're going to take communion together, the Lord's Supper. We're going to worship again. But before then, here's your chance. Remember the last three weeks. The first week, we looked at centering your house around Jesus, around God, and his word. That parents, we teach God's word to our children. He remains the center of us personally and then with our family. You know, then last week we looked at marriage, how to do our roles. Husbands, love your wives well. Wives, respect your husbands. We saw that. Now this week we looked at conflict. So I want to do a similar thing that we did the first week, but this time write down what you want to change. So you, you wrote down your ideal family, your future family, 10 years down the road. Now write down what you need to do right now to get there. And in the last three weeks, I've been praying that the Holy Spirit will reveal some things in you, not in your spouse, not in your kids necessarily, in you that you need to work on. So take a minute, take a minute. We're going to have some music going. Think about it. We're not in a hurry. Write down what you are going to do to respond in the front row you have right underneath you. Write down what you want to see changed. Write down what tools you're going to use. I just saw a wife hand one to her husband. That is a way to be a good helper. That was great. Feel free to do that, ladies. Just hand it to him. No, no pressure there. This applies to you also if you're single. Your future family needs saving. What changes do you need to make now?